0: Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church. A community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God given destiny. <laughs> Sign up. Get involved in a life group. It's life. And that's what we're all about. We're all about doing life together. Last week I kind of left you hanging and, and I want to finish up this week. We've kind of been doing a continuation. Of declaring the vision, and, and every year at the beginning of the year, I like to declare the vision of what and, and, and let you know what Saul's, uh, what Destiny City Church is all about, where we're going, what we're doing, what God is speaking into us, and and you know I, last week I almost jumped the gun a little bit. I wanted, I was so excited about the school I almost told you about it, but some of you already knew, but we wanted to make that public to you this morning. It's official. And we've been official for a few weeks now, but uh, we just haven't made that announcement. So, boy, jump on it. Last week, we kind of left off, and I want to kind of back up one step. We've been talking about the core values, the things that we believe that, that moves us. It's kind of like the fuel in our tank. It's, it's what drives us. And we're driven by, by these principles. And, and, and one of these principles is that, that we want you to be willing, and we want to equip you, and we want you to find your place in Christ. We want you to find your giftings in the Lord and begin to operate in it. Now, now, how many, know, how many of y'all, when you first learned to drive, you got behind the wheel and you put the thing in gear? Me, I started on a, on a straight shift. And I, I got, you, how many of y'all, when you started on a straight shift, you just got in the thing, you put that thing in gear, you, put, you lifted your foot off the clutch and off you went. That easy, right? How many had a few slip-ups along the way? You maybe knocked over a garbage can or something or, you know. But in order to learn how to drive, you had to be willing to do what? You had to be willing to take a risk. You had to be willing to get behind the wheel. I remember the first time I got behind the wheel of the car, my knuckles, were, I was six. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, when I, when I was a teenager, the first time I got in the car to drive, my, it was a white knuckle experience. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're scared to death because, and, and, and you're trying to remember everything your driver instructor told you to watch for the ditch. And you kind of line your hood on them up, which you don't have a hood on them anymore. But you would line it up with the edge. It tells you how old I am. You line it up with the edge of the, of, the, of the ditch as you drove. You know, that was kind of your, and, and so you're watching this and their car's coming this way. But you're you're trying to do what you were told to do and follow instructions. So you got all this stuff running through your head. It's kind of the same way when you're learning to walk in the things of God. You wanted to take risks, but you're trying to remember everything that you've been taught. You want to do it correctly, right? But you know, somewhere along the way, you're going to mess up. Should that be the end of your journey? Should you just say, oh, no, man, I blew it. I got to, I'm just no good. And some people do. They just blow up. They just think, "I, I, I failed God. So my life is ruined now. I just don't know what to do. No, your life is not ruined unless you stop. Unless you listen to the enemy of your soul who would tell you that you're of no value, that you've blown it, that you can't do it, and, and, and that's what he wants you to do. You know, there, there are two words in the Bible that mean the same thing. You don't want to know what they are? Satan and devil. They're synonymous. Diabolos and Satanos, if you look them up in the Greek, look beside the word, the, the main meaning of the word is accuser. And the devil wants to accuse you constantly. That's what he does. In Revelation, it causes, calls the, the devil... The accuser of the brethren. Because that's what he does. That's the only thing he's got. Is accusation. And he will deceive you by making you think that you are less than. When you're not. As we were singing that song this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I was thinking about. You know we're God's choice. I am God's favorite child. I'm his favorite. I'm his absolute favorite. And you are too. He chose you. You didn't choose him. How many of you ever said to this to your mom or dad? I didn't choose to be born. Anybody ever said that? Well, you didn't. They chose for you to be born. God chose for you to be born again into his kingdom. And because you're born into his kingdom, that makes you his child. You are precious to him. And this old thing, this old lie of the devil, and, and there have been songs written about it. There have been sung in the church as a hymn. And we stand there sanctimonious and sing, a worm such as I. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm no worm. Yeah, that's right. I came to him lowly because I was a sinner. Notice I said I was. That's not my M.O. anymore. My M.O. is to be righteous in his eyes and to walk before him in holiness. Does that mean that I never mess up? No. Why? Because I'm still trapped in this thing here. How many of have ever hit the Facebook button on your, on your computer by accident? You know, you got that FaceTime thing? I did that this morning. It scared the daylights out of me. All of a sudden, I'm looking at me, and I'm like, who is that man? Good gracious. <laughs> and and it's, we, 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 we start looking at circumstances and situations, and we start looking at us, and we think, you know, God, how could you love somebody like me? Well, there's a lot of truth in that. But the fact is, he does. He loves you warts and all. He loves you no matter what. So what I'm saying to you is in order to walk by faith, and without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must, if I say must, Must. believe that he is. He is what? He is I am. He is I am what? He is I am whatever you need. He is I am. He is the great I am. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, before Abraham was... I am. And He is. He's the beginning and the end. That which was and is and that which is to come. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He is it. Everybody say He's it. it. So you must believe that He is. That He is I am. And you got to believe this too. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. (sighs) He is a rewarder. God wants to reward you. Is that okay? You know, people have this idea that when we get connected with God, and as his child, we're never, just, never supposed to ask him for anything. I don't really want anything from God. I'm just so thankful to be saved. That's all I want. <laughs> you know, it would be like you coming to your mom and dad at Christmas time and saying, Mom and dad, I don't want any Christmas presents. I don't want nothing. I'm just glad I'm here. How many of y'all would have done that when you were a kid? Are you crazy? (laughs) No. We want what God has for us. Do you realize that he became poor so that you could become rich? Jesus didn't do it for nothing. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. Where did he pour himself out? Into us. It is Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Now that's not my notes, but it's good preaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move ahead a little bit here. So if we're going to have faith, now faith is what? Faith is the substance. When you think of substance, what do you think of? Faith is, the, my wife is the substance. If I say I have a wife, everybody say, Don Vess has a wife. Well, here she is. She's the substance. She's my wife. Now, if she weren't here, and I were to tell someone, not in her presence, that I have a wife and her name is Becky, would you believe it? Why? The substance is there. You don't see her. But the substance is there. She would be the substance of what I'm talking about. So faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. Now, we talked about that word hope quite a bit, haven't we, Kevin? And hope is a confident expectation. What do I mean by confident expectation? That what you're expecting, you're confident that you're going to receive. Amen. Is that good? It is a confident expectation. For when we pray, we must have confidence in our praying. For when we come to the Lord and we pray, you say, this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask what? Anything. You mean I can ask God for that? You can ask God for anything, but you got to believe. Yes. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, and then here's the thing we got to line it up with, according to the will of the Father, Amen. then we know that we have, that he hears us, first of all, and that we have whatsoever we ask of him. So whatever petitions, whatever we need, needs we bring before the Father, line it up with the will of God and then go ask confidently. Amen? And then take a risk. Now, how many believe in healing? How many believe what the Word of God says in Mark 16, 17? How many believe that as believers we're supposed to speak in new tongues? How many believe that? Why? Say it's in the Bible. Right there in Matthew 16, 17. How many believe that we're supposed to cast out demons? How many believe that we can drink any deadly thing and it won't harm us? Yeah. How many believe that we can even tread upon serpents and scorpions without fear? All right. Next week, I'm going to bring some snakes and scorpions. We're going to test this theory. Just kidding. If you see anybody come through the door with snakes and scorpions, you stop them. Security. No. Now, if one crawled in here, I, I will say that, that uh, I'm going I'm to kind of go off script for just a moment. But about a year ago, when we first moved in, it, you know, it was, was kind of weedy back in the back. It had grown up back there. And I went up to check the doors. And when I check the doors, sometimes I'll open them up just to see. So I opened the door up. And when I did, something slid down on my arm. And I almost went to heaven. <laughs> I looked down, there's a little snake wall. And thankfully, it was a black snake. But a snake's a snake when you don't know what kind it is. When it's dark in the corner. And I was doing the hallelujah dance. (laughs) But I shoot him on out the door and locked it behind him. (sighs) But you know what I mean. But we have authority. We have power that God has given to us. God has given us that. And so he has enabled us to be able to take risks. If God's word says these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. What else are they supposed to do? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Ha-ha. Speak with new tongues. Tread upon serpents, scorpions, all those things. Listen, God has given us great power and authority. Now, in the verses following that, it says, in the, and the disciples went out and tested that theory with signs and wonders following. They went out and did what Jesus told them to do. Now, we've got to be willing to take risk. And you see someone in a wheelchair or whatever, and they're all bowed up and everything, and, and God speaks to your heart and says, go lay hands on them, don't you fear. But what if they don't get healed? I'm going to look like a fool. What if they do? What if they do? That's not your place to worry about. Your place is to go lay hands on them. Go lay hands on them. Now, several years ago, I was going through something myself. I was going through a, a, a thing with my liver, and it was in really bad shape. And I was going through some interferon treatments because of hepatitis C and stuff. You all know that story. But the, first, the very first time that I took the medication I was taking, which was horrific, and I felt horrible that morning, but I came to church anyway. And I'll never forget... There was a young lady sitting on the front row of the church. Sitting right there. And she had a, a wide brim hat on her head. And I wonder why she wore a hat in church. And she looked to be maybe in her 60s or so. And, and, and that morning, it's just like the Holy Spirit of God just would not leave me. He says, I want you to lay hands on people and pray for them. Pray for the sick. And right in the middle of what we were doing, I just stopped and I said, if there's anyone here that is sick, God just wants me to lay hands on you and pray for you. Well, she gets up and she comes to me. And she just walks up, and, and I'm standing there, and I said, I don't know why, but I just feel like God just wants me to put my arms around you and, and accept this as a hug from God. He just loves you. And I looked into her eyes, and I said, what, what can I pray with you about? And she says, I have cancer, and they've given me only three months to live. And, and, and I didn't, I, I was at a loss for word. I couldn't, I couldn't pray. I couldn't say anything. Can you imagine me not being able to say anything? I couldn't say anything. I just took her, and I just pulled her close, and we just wept together for just a few moments. And I just laid my hands on her, and, and, and she went back to her seat. Well, several weeks or months later, maybe about three months later, we had a guest speaker to come in, and he preached that morning, and, and the Holy Ghost just fell on that place, and we had a bunch of people getting saved and healed. And, and, and ministries happening, and, and I, you know, when he was still going, praying for people, and I went out into the foyer, and someone came out, and they came out, they were just jumping around, and dancing and stuff, and I saw this young lady, this beautiful young lady come out, and she kind of went over to the side, and I'm talking to him, and he's telling me how God touched his back, and he's bending over, touching his toes, and he said, I couldn't even stand up, and now I can do all that. God had just really touched him, and, and so when he finally... Got through. We celebrated a the moment. He they, they kind of walked away. She came up to me, and she, she started. She said, I just wanted to come back, and thank you. And I said, um, help me out here. Because I looked at her, and I said, you look really familiar. And she says, well, I was in your church about three months ago, and you prayed for me. And she said, this Thursday, I went to my oncologist." And said so they ran some tests. They did some x-rays and things. They wanted to see how the cancer was advancing. And, and she said, then they did some more tests. And they took blood tests. And they did this test and that test and the cat test. and da, da, Every test that they could possibly do. And she said, my oncologist came out. And she said, we don't understand. She said, what don't you understand? You don't have a trace of cancer in your body. She said, that was three months ago. Three months ago, she looked like she was in her 60s. But she had her radiance back. She was gorgeous. And I'm just like, God, you restore all things. That's the power of God that we serve. We have to be willing to take the risk. That's what faith is. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's good, isn't it? Now, another thing that is our core value is this. And I really want to focus on this this morning. Honor. Honor. What does it mean to honor? To honor means to esteem very highly. That's what it means to honor. To value. So when we honor someone, we value them. And that's part of the culture we want to create here. It's, it's a God culture. It's just, it's just basic Christianity. It's just basic Bible. It's just honoring one another above ourselves. And it says in the book of Romans 4, For each of us not to esteem ourselves too highly, but esteem others greater than ourselves. To esteem, to value them. You know, we all value ourselves, don't we? I hope you do. Because you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor even as you love yourself. So we got to have a little bit. We should not go around in this self-loathing thing. If you do that, stop it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So whatever you're speaking over yourself, stop the negativity. Stop it. Stop it. Declare over yourself the goodness of God. Declare over yourself the mercies of God, the grace of God. Declare that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you and who gave himself for you. Declare over yourself that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stop telling yourself that you can't. Can't never could do anything. Okay. Honor. Honor God first. Esteem him very highly. Above him there is no other. And to honor God and to value him is to value your relationship with him. If you value your relationship with him, it will definitely put the hiatus on some of the ways that we act and think and do. Because if we honor him, we want to honor him with everything. Jesus said, this is how you honor God. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And here's the other way you honor him. Love your neighbor even as you love yourself. Honor is such an important part of our lives. Husbands and wives, you should learn to honor one another and think of the other greater than yourself. Don't get too quiet in here. I heard an amen back there. Was it a single person? <laughs> Love and life flows from honor. So we got to strive to honor God first and others as a step. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. And the footnote in my New American Standard Bible says, outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. It seems to me like there's a verse of scripture in Hebrews in chapter 10 that says something about and provoke one another unto good works. But first of all it says to not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as the manner of some is. But to do so even more even as you see that day approaching. And somewhere along in there then it says to honor one another. It says to Provoke one another unto good works with love. Now, when we honor one another, we pro- that's provocative. You know, when we see others doing good things for God, we want to get on the gravy train. When we see how God is beginning to bless and, and, and we watch how God is using other people, doesn't that kind of make you a little bit spiritually jealous and that's okay? Doesn't that make you want to be able to do the same things? Yeah. You know, I've always loved Reinhardt Monkey. You might know who Reinhard Bunke is. He's a German evangelist. And Reinhard Bunke has spoken to more people ever assembled together in one place. Over three million people at one time in Africa. And Reinhard Bunke had a man who was actually raised from the dead. He was a pastor, a young pastor, who was killed in an automobile accident and his chest was caved in. No way he could have lived. And... The funeral home wanted to come and take him away, but his wife said no. Well, they took him anyway because the authorities took him, and they embalmed him. Well, the wife came after they had embalmed him and said, I want my husband. And she took her husband. And she just took him to Reinhardt Bonnke's meeting. And Reinhardt was preaching. And so when she brought him to Reinhardt Bonnke's meeting, he was still in the coffin, and Or in a a box, not in a coffin, because she wouldn't let him put him in one. She didn't pick one. She said, he's not going to need it. But she took him. She took a risk. She took him to his meeting. And security, of course, met her when she was trying to unload this box with her dead husband in it. And they did not want her to take him in and interrupt the meeting where he was preaching. And so security, she would not take no for an answer. And so security finally went to one of his associates and says, "There's a woman out here with her dead husband wants Reinhardt to come raise him from the dead." (laughs) And so, you know what Reinhardt monkey did? He stopped, and he went, and he raised. He laid hands on the man, and you know what happened? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Now, this was just several years ago. It had not been that long. Maybe 15 years ago. But you know, that should be normal Christianity. Because what we have inside of us is the life of God. Everybody say life. And it's not dead life. It's not a temporary life. It's not a life that passes away. It's a life that lives forever. It's forever life. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you believe in the Father, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. Did he not tell you that? And did he not tell Martha when she asked him, he said, do you believe that Lazarus will rise again? She said, yeah, in the resurrection. I believe he will. All of us will. He said, look, Martha, <laughs> I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So, what I'm saying, we have to be willing to take risks. Now, what if Reinhard Bonnke would have went out there? What if this woman who adamantly said, I'm going to take this man to, the, to Reinhard Bonnke's meeting, and he's going to be raised from the dead. What if she had not had that faith? We wouldn't be telling the story, would we? But she did. And they did. And he did. And he did. Every one of them took a risk. We have to be willing to take the risk. If we go to the, to the hospital and we're laying hands on the sick and we believe God for their healing, there's a risk involved, isn't there? But I don't want to touch anybody that's sick. I'll wait till they get better and then I'll lay hands on them. <laughs> what good is that? Amen. Amen. God says lay hands on the sick. Yeah. Oh, don't be afraid. Amen. Why should you walk in fear? Do you not believe that the same God who will heal them will protect you? I've had people say to me, well, Pastor Don, aren't you afraid to go down to Chiapas? You know, the, did y'all see the news yesterday? You see where all of the, the, the people that come across the border in Guatemala, do you see where they were meeting? Y'all heard the name Weeksla before? That's where I was last year. That's where I'm going in, in just a little over a month. And people say, well, aren't you afraid? Why? Well, my, my, my theory is this. If, if they kill me, I go to heaven. If they hurt me, God will heal me and he'll get more glory. If they captivate me, that means that I can stay there and continue to give them the message of the gospel. Until they get tired of hearing it and then they'll let me go. Either get saved or let me go. One or the other. So it's a win-win all the way around, right? You can't lose. Why are we so fearful? Fearful. It reminds me of Mark chapter 5. I was just reading that yesterday. It's, it's amazing. And I love that whole chapter because this is a chapter and it kind of correlates with Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is 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 going around in Capernaum. He's doing all these miracles and everything and people following him around. And then somebody comes and says uh, uh, that that one of the the synagogue leader, Jairus' daughter, has died, and he wants you to come raise her from the dead. And so Jesus says, I will, and he starts away. And as he's going along, all these people are tugging on him and coming up. And then this woman who has an issue of blood, she sneaks up behind him, touches the hem of his garment. She's healed. And then, you know, another blind person comes up screaming, I want to be healed. And so Jesus heals him. And all these things are happening everywhere he's going. He's laying hands on the sick, and he's doing all this. He gets to Jairus's house, and, and they say, don't bother now. She's already dead. She, he says, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they all laughed because there was no breath or life in her body. They didn't understand who had arrived. But Jesus shoot them all out, and he took Matthew, Mark, and uh, not Matthew, but James, John, and Peter into the room with him, kicked everybody else out, and then he just says a couple of words. Daughter, arise. And she got up. He took her by the hand. She got up. And got hungry. And they fed her. So all this is going on. And Jesus is pouring his heart out. Well after all of this. And then he goes and he preaches. And, 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 and hands out some more loaves and fishes. And you know 4,000 of them. And after that he's just wiped out. And so he gets in a boat. And they start out on his next trip. And as they're going across Jesus passes out. He's just spent. Let me tell you something. If you've ever operated under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Even for a moment. Even for a short period of time. You don't understand that under the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Your body, the heaviness, the kavod of God will wear you out physically. And he was spent. But he was the son of God. Yes, he was. But he was also a man. And you also are a son of God. Okay? But you're also human. So, Jesus is laying in the boat. And a storm comes up. And it gets rough. I mean, it gets really rough. And they're rowing. They're not getting anywhere. And somebody just yells out, don't you care that we perish? Jesus kind of like, why are you so fearful? Don't you have any faith? Hush. Be still. And it says they were all amazed because even the winds and the waves obeyed him. Why should they be? Had they not walked with him? Had they not seen all these miracles that he's done? Have you not seen what God has done in the lives of others? Why are we so afraid to take a risk? Well, I'm back to that again. I like it. We're talking about honor. (laughs) There are levels of honor in the kingdom of God. Take the lowest position first and submit and serve your way into leadership. Serve your way into leadership. Everybody that's in leadership here has had to serve the way there or be willing to serve. If you're not willing to serve, don't ask for a position because we don't have any. Literally, we don't. God will create a place for you to serve, and God will help us to fit you into it. But you got to, first of all, be willing to serve. Serve who? The least of these. Now Jesus was ministering one day and someone brought some children to him for him to bless them. And his disciple says, don't bother him right now. He's busy. But Jesus saw what was going on. He said, hey, stop. Let the little children come to me. He said, this is the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to become just like a little child. No man can enter the kingdom of God until he first comes like a little child. Why? Be willing to take the low place. Sometimes we want to shove the kids off in the corner and and, and just put them out of our way so that we can receive and we can do. But listen, those kids, I'm thankful that we have some anointed people who are pouring into the lives of our children. They're not our future. They're our present. Sometimes if I want to be healed, I'll get a kid to pray for me. You know why? Because they don't have any presuppositions. They just believe. I believe in healing because the Bible says so. That's it. And they'll pray for you, and you will get healed. I remember Becky used to, she never came to get me to pray for her when Justin was growing up or Jeremy. She'd go get them. Because she knew that they had more faith than I did. (laughs) And it's true. And she would get healed. So, servitude and honor, we honor those and esteem those, honor to those around us. You think, well, maybe they don't deserve honor. I'm supposed to honor those who are over me in the Lord. Yes, you are. But you're also supposed to honor those who aren't. You're supposed to esteem them very highly, love them, honor them. I got to move along. And, and. So, there are levels of honor in the kingdom of God. Take the position first and submit and serve your way into leadership. Jesus exemplified honor and servitude and drove home the point in John chapter 13. What did he do? This was a Passover meal, the Last Supper as we call it. And when Jesus had eaten and they'd had the communion meal, what did he do? After they had eaten, Jesus did what? He stood up, took off his outer garment, took a towel wrapped around his waist. And then he got down, took a basin of water, and started washing the disciples' feet. And he went to old Pete first. You know, Peter's like, you know, he probably had the stinkiest feet because he's an old nasty fisherman. And so he starts washing Peter's feet. And Peter's like, Lord, don't wash my feet. Let me wash yours. And he said, you don't understand. Well, you don't understand what spirit you're of, Peter. He says, if I don't do this, you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter says, okay, in that case, give me a bath. Start right here. (laughs) He says... You're already clean, Pete. You don't need a bath. But I'm giving you an example of what it really means to serve. And he went around and washed their feet. And as, as he went, he was teaching them servitude. And a couple of disciples came to him one day. and said, one of want wanted to be, you know, sit on his right hand in the kingdom. One wanted to sit on the other. And Jesus said, you got it all wrong. That's not what this is all about. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must first of all be the servant of all. The servant of who? So, true honor is to love and to serve one another. Serve one another. And foot washing isn't necessarily taking a basin of water and getting down and scrubbing somebody's feet. It's serving them in other ways. Serving them in other ways. And we could go into a lot about that, but I'm going to kind of move on. So, here... We sincerely desire to develop a culture of honor among ourselves, and let it extend to whom, whomever we may encounter, wherever we are. Wherever we are, there's a lot of ways we could go with that. Giving up your parking space to someone who needs it worse than you, or you place placing line in the grocery store when the line is four, four miles long, like Walmart. How many would give up your place in Walmart for someone else? It'd be difficult, wouldn't it? (laughs) It'd be tough. But sometimes that's what God calls us to do. Those little ways we show honor to other people. But we want to develop that culture here that we honor you. And we honor each other. Always deal with God and your leaders and yourself and each other with honor and respect. The Bible instructs us to show honor to each other at every level. Children are instructed to honor the parents and their elders. And we're all instructed to show honor to those over us in any level of authority. And we are, of course, admonished to honor God and place Him above everything else. We're also instructed to honor all men. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, honor who? All, all men. You know what that word all means? I love it. It's a little Greek word, P-A-S, pas. It means... Oh, everything, everyone. Honor all men, especially, especially who? The king. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear the king. Fear God. Honor the king. And then Hebrews 13, 17, this is a scripture that, that is, is difficult for some people. But it shouldn't be. And, and some preachers like to pull it out and, and, and throw it in your face and, and use it to manipulate people. But really, this is in the Bible. Everybody says it's in the Bible. And it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Y'all love that word, don't you? Submit. 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 Submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. And those who will give an account As those who will give an account. This this scripture is, to me, one of the most sobering scriptures in the Bible. Because I have to give an account for your souls. Not just mine. When I stand before God in judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be judged for how I conduct myself as a pastor, as a leader in the body of Christ. I have more responsibility, and I have to esteem those under me and, and as much as, as God has called you to esteem and honor me as a leader over you and others over you as, as your spiritual leaders. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then in 1 Peter 5, 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That word honor there is the word dime. Everybody say dime. dime. It looks like dime. And that's the way a lot of people would, would view it. Let the, be, let the elders or those who rule over you receive what? Double dimes. We want to nickel dime them. And, 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 and you know, some people said we, we look at it this way. God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. But I don't see you folks that way. I really don't. We have a great bunch of people. You're faithful to God, and I appreciate that. But some people don't. But here's what God says. It says, it says to consider them of double, worthy of double honor. And that is, in other words, money paid. Or concretely and collectively valuables by analogy, esteem, especially of the highest degree, or by dignity itself. Consider them precious. Now, that's straight out of the concordance. That's, that's not mine interpretation of that. I just took it straight out of the the concordance. So that's what it means. In Galatians 5.22, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we desire to do is to walk in the Spirit, to walk according to the precepts that God has set before us, to honor God, to honor each other, and set this example before each other, and before God, and before the community that God has called us to minister to. Well, folks, I've given you pretty much the layout of of who we are and what we do. I want to conclude by just telling you these, these several little things. First of all, Becky, myself, Chuck and Janice, Jeremy and Justin, the whole crew of us here that are in leadership on the pastoral staff, are members of an organization called Evangel Fellowship International. That's kind of who we're affiliated with. And the reason being, we need fellowship too. And I like the mantra that they have, and it's pretty much the same thing that we have here. And, And their mantra is this, that we are relationally connected for global impact. And it's all about relationships. As we said last week, it's all about relationships, how we honor one another, how we serve one another, how we love one another. And we're starting to get it and we want to create and cultivate that culture here. I personally, have a team of three that I hold myself accountable to. Frank Harvey, Apostle Harvey, who's preached in here many times, at least once a year we bring Apostle Harvey in. He's the apostle over the house. And when he comes, what does he ever bring it? There's an authority, there's a power, there's anointing upon his life. And he speaks life into this church, and he speaks life into me. And I have Philip Miles. Bishop Philip Miles and Bishop, his dad, Houston Miles. Those are two. But then I have Bill Knight down in Matthews and Mike Abbott in Asheville or up in Silver, North Carolina. And these guys... Call me every now and then and just check on me. And I call them and check on them. We minister to one another. We encourage one another and strengthen one another. And then I have those around me here. Because I believe in accountability. I believe in holding yourself accountable to someone. As we said a couple weeks ago, if you're not willing to be accountable, if you're not willing to be hold yourself accountable, how can you be accountable? You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find, and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.